Welcome back to the Hex Drinkers Podcast. It's episode four. I'm Julian, and I'm joined by Eric. Howdy. Oak. What's up? <laughs> oh. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and Chev. Hey. And we are a longtime playgroup journeying the multiverse in the hopes of leveling up both our game and yours. And man, it just does not get tiring saying that. It just rolls off the tongue so nice. It's almost like I wrote it. Well, another exciting list of topics on the cast today. As you might have imagined, we only talk about the exciting things. Uh, first off, we're going to recap the Commander Legends draft that we got to do over our Thanksgiving break. We all got to uh, throw down in some good old-fashioned uh, Commander Legends. So we're going to talk about the drafting portion, the games, uh, some big polls, and just our thoughts on the format at large. And then we are going to take a detour over into talking about color identities, what colors we like, what colors we don't like, what appeals to us about them, and our overall kind of playstyle preferences. So, Commander Legends. Oh, I just heard some. I just heard a little bit of echo of my my voice. Sounded good. Quit being so loud. Though. I'm sorry. I just I'm so excited. Commander Legends. It's a it's a draft format. It's a multiplayer format. It's Commander. Um, Chev, will you tell us? Will you remind us what Commander Legends? is that makes it different from your normal either just commander release or just draft release. So yeah, just to to quickly recap, if you're doing draft, it's three packs, 20 cards in each, take two and pass, and the idea is to make a 60-card um, deck based around some of the, the legendary creatures you pulled. So, I mean, granted, you know, there are definitely some differences that we weren't super prepared for. I know uh, Eric mentioned afterward about the color identity angle compared to, like, splashing when you would in a typical draft deck? It's a very, very different portion of that draft format where you can't see, like, a powerful card outside your colors and essentially have any interest in it. Like, if you're on your third pack and you're solidly in red-green, you you can't just all of a sudden be like, oh, well, I would like this very powerful powerful black or blue spell. It just doesn't work. And so... In the first set of drafts, I drafted Is It and ended up passing a lot of good cards because of that. But in the second round of drafting, I got to draft one of the three color generals, Nevin Yarl. I had way more options available to me, it felt like, and I was able to take more of the good cards, which was not something I would have seen coming. Yeah, it seemed like, I mean, on top of that too, if you've kind of like set your colors, not only can you really splash, but if two people on opposite sides of the table have decided on their colors... Um, and it doesn't really become aware that like both of you are picking the same things, it's much harder to switch out of them if you're past the point when new commanders are being passed around. I am someone who might have had a little bit of experience with that, um, because in the first draft, we did we did uh, two drafts on the day, but the first draft, I was thinking, oh, well, I'm going to commit to a color pair early and just sort of force it. And I opened up the blue uh, pirate partner, the flying one that gives you treasures, and then a good red pirate. I know Is It Pirates is a archetype. I'm just going to force it. I will get a red partner at some point or whatever. Well, Eric, who was to my right, did the same thing. He actually was lucky enough to pull the red, blue, uncommon pirate legend. So he was already set there. Um, but we both started pulling, and we noticed about halfway through the draft, we were like, there's not really that many red cards here. And then in the second pack... When we were passing the other way, I noticed that Eric was just cutting me, cutting me. Well, I knew somebody was cutting me, and eventually I just realized it was Eric. But you really have to – I feel like you have to read the signals even more in this draft because you can lose access to colors because you won't have the commanders that you need. So in any 
normal draft, you can just draft what colors you need, right? And then if I see them getting cut, I can just start pivoting, which I was able to do. Luckily, I had just been started to take some good green cards because things were drying up. And I luckily in the third pack was able to find the uh, blue green cascade legend to helm my deck. But I really probably could have gotten cut off from even like a usable deck if I didn't pivot early enough because we there was not a single red partner legend that was opened in that draft. No, there was. One. I got the I got the little zero guy in the first draft because I was going to try and pair it with a chroma. But again, you know, in those first couple rounds when I didn't see any red come through, mm-hmm. I made a call early that it was like, well. You know, this strategy really only works if I have enough small red since my uh, I was planning for, like, big white angels. Um, so I, I pivoted to black pretty early on. Yeah, so anyway, though, I think that uh, you really have to look for those commanders that are available because you could get almost cut out of a color. Although the piper exists, but you don't really want to have to play the piper. And you might you might not get a Right, piper. yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a good point because I never even really thought of the piper in the draft which might have been something that i'm not sure it would have if it would have helped me because i never really felt like i had to pivot colors besides in that early section but to think like yeah you know worst case i can take all these colors of another color starting in the second pack and i at least have the ability to do so because i completely forgot that was an option you know in the heat of it yeah i guess i didn't think about that either neither of my drafts were really suited to that uh like julian said i pulled the red blue just uncommon pirate commander and immediately from there was sort of set into red blue so i didn't think about partners round one and then round two i immediately pulled nev who's one of the three color partners or three color oh my god three color partners don't do it um <laughs> commanders but, uh yeah he's one of the three color commanders and so again didn't really even have to think about partner but i, th- I think we all underestimated that little five mana three three that could oak almost played uh piper in one of the in one of the drafts right was it the second one yeah, we'll we'll get into that later, but um, I was running a little low on playable cards, so uh, <laughs> I almost took a Piper out of the middle. But the fact that I had a partner commander really sort of saved my skin, because I had it with both partners, I had enough playables. So, one takeaway I think that we've kind of distilled here is get commanders early and often so you have options, because I found in the second draft... Um, Eric pulled Nev, which is the Esper, the the black, white, and blue legend, uh, pretty early. And I pulled Colfiner, the, uh, the last, last you. green, 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 black. Oh, oh I was going to say that. The, <laughs> the, the color Abzan, identity, the, green, the more important stuff. Yeah, Abzan, the green, black, and white legend, uh, maybe third or fourth pick. I took that, and I think once you have so, uh, a color combo to work within, I think it's pretty easy to get your mana going uh i had things like burnished heart uh there's a couple different ramp spells um and then there's also a bunch of artifact fixing uh in that deck alone i had three different of the diamonds i had one of the black and then two of the green ones uh, which are just two man artifacts they come in tapped and they add a mana of whatever color of the cycle they are so you can definitely pick up all the sort of fixing that you need uh as long as you're in your colors but in the beginning of that draft, I had been picking up, I picked up like two good green cards, uh, a good black card and like a good white card, just cause I didn't know what I was doing yet. The thing is like, if I hadn't grabbed that Colfiner early, I wouldn't have been able to do any of that. So you really want to stake your claim on some of those legends early so that you can play. Cause once, once you have your color pair, you can pretty much do whatever you want mana wise. 
the two things I would want to circle back to is like go greedy when it comes to the um, commanders. Like the partners are super cool. And I think a lot of them, if you have two that really like have a synergistic relationship, then they're worth going to. But otherwise, like you're going to find a ton of these three color legendaries. Grab a couple of those. Hopefully they have like an overlapping color so you can pivot. But like, like Julian mentioned, the mana base, I never really felt like was a problem. And I think I definitely could have branched out into a third color with the cards I, you know, just got for two, which was a command sphere or a command tower or a path of ancestry or any of those like sort of, you know, multicolored lands. It's very easy to run three colors. Um, and so it's definitely something that I would put higher on the list. And, you know, at the same time, like, you know, getting a couple guys that overlap, it doesn't hurt to spend a pick getting a backup commander that shares a color or another partner that's outside of your color in the first or second um, pack just to set yourself up if you need to do a late game turnaround. And then you're not stumbling for a commander. You just have the option available to you. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's a really good idea in terms of like how to draft through like the first opening, like moves of pack one, pack two. But uh, one thing that I think would be interesting is to look at, like, down the line of, okay, I see that this pack has, you know, a pretty good blue commander, but it has two great blue cards down the line in terms of if you maybe take that okay commander and one of the great cards to maybe make that color less tempting to, like, start to branch out into. Because being within a color, I think, is so much more important in this draft than in regular drafts that... I'd be interested to see what a draft looked like if I went back and like tried to aggressively like attack a color and be like, I want all the best white cards in the first round and then see how that played out, essentially. I think that's uh, an interesting idea because in this format, it's I feel like it's even easier to force and therefore get cut off from colors because you're taking two, uh, two cards a pack. So you and I both noticed in the first draft, we were like, where are all the red cards? One, there wasn't that many red cards being opened. And because we were both taking them, they disappeared in like the first three picks. And then in the second round of that draft, when you were passing to me, I was getting basically nothing because you were just taking everything. You know what I mean? It, there wasn't even leftovers for me. So it's a good idea if you can to try and force something like that. Um, but then knowing when you're cut off and switching quickly is also important because once you're cut off, that's it. It's, it's game over in terms of that sort of stuff. Do you guys think if time wasn't an issue, if the format would benefit from doing pick one of the, the packs as opposed to the pick two? Because then we wouldn't see as many times when you open a pack and you're able to take just the best stuff from it. And I do wonder, like, I know because we're playing Commander in a four-player game, these matches will run long. So one of the reasons why it is pick two is, like, the packs generally were thought to have more value. So, you know, you wouldn't feel bad about opening something cool like with the, the Double Masters draft we saw earlier in the year. But also, I wonder if, you know, the main reason for pick two outside of that is time constraint as opposed to something that's like, you know, could have made the experience better. I enjoy the aspect that it would allow you to more comfortably be in a space. I feel like I would have almost less information if we were going slower, like seeing getting handed a pack and seeing like like no red in it you're like all right either this is a busted pack or something happened with these two yeah. people that's a good point i didn't even really think about like the angle of you know if something is really fully gone you can tell easily that like you know probably most packs have one of every color so if it's pick one or pick two that's probably a good indication someone upstream is like just taking that color as a you know reflex 
Because since we are more like tied into those identities, that's probably an easier decision to make. That being said, though, I think I don't think anyone was really short playable cards. Um, Oak, I know you said in the second draft that you were sort of short, but I think that was more of a function of the commanders that you had to work with and not the fact that you had bad cards. I think in general, the power level of this cards is pretty good. I mean, we're, we're dealing with a bunch of cards that were made to be pushed and also cards that are just reprints for sort of the commander format, right? Which is the most powerful format basically other than vintage. So I don't, I, I think that if you just sort of draft like good cards dot deck, which is kind of what happened for me the first game. I was just playing a Simic deck, which we know how we feel about Simic. Um, you know, I just had I had good ramp. I had good fixing. I had a bunch of large creatures and a little bit of Cascade. And I did, you know, I did pretty good for myself. So I felt that was a pretty powerful deck. I think if you just do that, you know, you, you can do pretty well for yourself. Whereas Eric kind of got cut off at the knees a little bit because he had a bunch of good pirate cards, but he wasn't really able to fully pull it together just because i was taking a bunch of those pirate cards in the beginning yeah but let's not talk let's not talk about the sad parts of our pulls let's talk about the cool parts of our pulls uh i'll start (laughs) i pulled a jeweled lotus it was awesome yeah that was like the first thing that happened Uh, yeah that was the first yeah got to your house pack one card one jeweled lotus (laughs) yeah you were like, you were like, oh, I get this seventy dollar card, and I also get this great legend that I want. See, that's where the that's where the pick two comes in when you when you rare draft, and also you get the commander you want. It's just pick one, but also with like cash app open in the other window of like how much thing worth. <laughs> I don't think we we got a ton that was worth a lot of value in this set. I know I pulled an Acroma that I think is sitting around eight dollars, and then there's a few of like the heavy hitter spells that hits two or three, but. Like, this set is really crashed for value to the point where boxes are selling for, like, normal set prices, where they were up to, like, 140 120 um, when the set released. What's the price of the Tutor they reprinted in the set? Vampiric Tutor? It's sitting around 50 It was forty okay. nine ninety nine sold out on Card Kingdom yesterday. Not that, you know, I was looking for one or anything. <laughs> no, no. Who would do that? Well, I, mean, I don't know. I think I think honestly, Eric kind of kind of hit the jackpot, and the rest of us <laughs> mostly busted. But we had a really good time because yeah. we had some pretty good games. Oh, Julian, why don't you tell us about those games? Yeah, so we played two games, one for each draft. Uh, since we were playing four player and they were commander esque decks, uh, they were sort of the longer games. So felt like we got our money's worth. Eric will talk about this later, but I think it got a little bit grindy towards the end of the games. But I don't think it's a slow format. Um, we'll circle back to that. There is much more setup than in a normal sort of limited game. Obviously, there's four players, and because there's four players, obviously it takes longer to eliminate everyone, and no one wants to really throw the first punch. Um, I thought I got off to a pretty good start in the first game uh, with my green-blue deck. I felt like I had some really good ramp. Malcolm, who is the flying pirate, was putting in some good work, and uh, also Daring Thief, who is like an unblockable pirate that loots when it hits. Uh, those two really got me some good card advantage and ramp in the beginning. And then uh, after that, I have to shout out Halana, the uh, the Kessig Trap Queen, who basically when anything enters, you can pay two mana and it will deal damage equal to its power to another target creature. So it's not even a fight. It's like a pseudo fight. Since I'm playing green, uh, I had generally bigger things, but 
I mean, even some of the smaller things I was playing down, it's just really nice to like be able to snipe a bunch of small things. So I think that card put in a lot of work. I would recommend picking that if you get the option. For sure. Even if it doesn't end up in the zone, I think it's a good card. Yeah, I was just playing it in the uh, in the 60. I think for me, the, the first game was better than the second game uh, in the sense that I, I got the Acroma in the first draft and then I paired it with the Black Familiar that gives commanders you control Menace and Death Touch. Um, and definitely, you know, like putting down a board of beaters and flyers and stuff it took a little bit longer for sure i don't think we were too worried about throwing first punches though or at least turn three on game uh two i was swinging and then this game it just took me a little longer because i had more stuff i think eric initiated combat in the first one uh yeah i mean i drafted aggressive is it pirates what are they gonna do other than just punch you in the face especially with the your dudes get bigger for every time they've punched yeah. someone in the face. It's it's funny going back and like thinking about these epochs to the games because it's slowly coming back. It was like, oh, right, you know, the beginning of game one was like the pirate uh, sort of threat loomed on the board. And we all kind of had to deal with that in certain ways to prevent them from getting big smashies massing, especially when the monarchy came. And then it's like, oh, right, there's that other epoch in the second game where all of Oakley's stuff was untouchable due to artifacts. And it's like just like remembering almost these key battles or key like movements and the things that I think make because of the limited experience and having like the smaller number of cards and things that be, do more duty, I think, than in Commander, you end up with like a more memorable like story of these than I do of our Commander games. Chev, I think that's a really good point that you sort of indirectly brought up there is the monarch played a huge role mm, in yeah. both of our oh, games yeah. it was introduced pretty early in both of them and it basically one sped the flow up because everyone for the most part wanted the monarch and it really controlled combat because it basically was like i think eric introduced the monarch it went to my turn i attacked him for the monarch oak hit me for the monarch yeah. You hit Oak for the monarch. There was a couple and times we just, just cycled like around, yeah, in a circle. And then it became like to to another way. Decided combat was like if someone has the monarchy and everyone's at an equal number of life, they are the ones that are targeted. So I know a few times, like I almost played defensively by seeing Oak get the monarch, looking at Eric's giant unblockable uh, flying pirate menace, and being like, "I don't need that coming at me." And so I just you know decided not to attack that turn, and it ended up paying off at least in the first game. Yeah, I felt I felt the brunt of that because that was the turn that Eric. Uh, the after that, he played a menace creature, and he played his commander for like the third or fourth time and swung out and hit me for like twelve. Yep. And I after that, I decided that I didn't need to be the monarch for another couple rounds because um, that, that pirates I made think it that clear. Was yeah, yeah, that that uh that kind of crippled me briefly. The monarchy hurts, so, yeah, dude. I think the monarch was the monarchy was very important. Another thing that I want to shout out because I had them in both drafts was, and I think other people did too, was the uh, the vows, the enchantments that give buffs stat-wise and also abilities and then make it so that that creature can't attack you or planeswalkers weren't relevant, but technically planeswalkers you control. There was a few there was a few times where vows came in and uh, really put some work in. Um, I think Oak put a vow on my creature that had the ability to not be blocked so i was smacking some people i know that chev i put the green vow uh on your slurk the second yep. game which was already a very large slurk yeah. which was nice i think because... i made it a 12 12 with trample <laughs> i hated that yeah you you i think you got to punch one time and then yeah i think oak uh pacified it or something he was like i'm not having any of that well i put it in the stockades for a little while at least 
Um, like in that second game, there was definitely one I remember where like I was playing one one counters, and so I just had these two beefy commanders, and everything became like I think three or four auras were on Slurk at one point, with like one being a vow, and then one being the stockades, and then another one being some other boon that was given to it by someone else in like currying favor. So these just big colossuses could smack at people, but unfortunately, all were rendered silent. Rip Slurk, long live Slurk. Game one, I. Uh, I feel like I had a very different quality of deck than I did game two. Uh, as, as much as Chev mentioned the epic of threatening pirates, half of those pirates were Julians because that man took half my pirates. Um, <laughs> but I, I felt threatening at the start of the game. But as we got later on, I was like, once everyone caught up, I don't think I'm taking this one home. Uh, <laughs> but I, I did try and make sure that others went home before me. <laughs> That's true. You punched me a bunch of times. I did punch it cost you. Cost me the game. Uh, well, actually, no. What cost me? The, what cost me the game was Chev playing a Chroma, which although he was like, "Oh, it doesn't buff my other dudes because it has flying and like first strike and vigilance." It's still a flying first strike vigilance six 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 flyer. Yeah. It still beats. And uh, I think one of the one of the th- I don't want to say it's necessarily a shortcoming. But I think one of the things you have to account for in this format is there's really not that many removal spells, I don't think. Like, I saw a murder in the second draft, but there's really not that many things that are just, like, destroy target creature. There's a lot more, like, kind of pacifism effects, but there's still not even that much. As someone who played what attempted to be effectively a removal tribal deck in game two, I felt like there was enough removal. To clarify, you played you played Nev, which when he dies, you can pay some mana to basically wipe the board. I don't know if that counts. That's like, you have a wrath on a stick. You're ignoring the half of his effect that won me the game. If Nev just did that, he would be garbage to me. When he enters, you make zombies equal to the things that died. Two or three times in that game, I had a bunch of things die and then played Nev, generated zombies... Those same zombies that killed both Julian and Chev and ended the game. So, oh yeah, no, I just I, I was addressing your statement about the removal when you were like, I played removal tribal. I was like, well, your commander is basically a wrath on a stick. So that's that was never the effect that caused things to die because he never played it twice in two turns. It was like, I mean, there's there's plenty of other stuff. Not, I, I will say, I think that this set could have used like a um, path to exile or swords to plowshares or one of the classic white removal spells. But we did see plenty of black. There was murder. There was the one black instant um, where it deals damage equal to or like creature with CMC less than cards in your graveyard dies. Um, There's like the one that kills legendary creatures. The one that doesn't kill legendary creatures. Like all those were there definitely obviously in black. Green had some fight. I wouldn't say the set was really hurting for removal, but it was hurting for what we'd expect in the commander format. Like, most of the commanders seemed like they could withstand a lot of the the bulk of them. Maybe. It it felt to me like a lot of what, when things were dying, it was in combat. That's for sure true. Either for chumping, because when there's a 12-12 slurk coming at you, you're not just going to take that. I mean, you could. Would have helped me out if you did. And and maybe, maybe, maybe it was more that a lot of the removal was conditional. Like, the... The one you're talking about where it's like target non-black creature that has toughness less yeah. than cards in its opponent it in its owner's graveyard or something, which Eric played on me, but like he tried to play it before and messed it up. It was because it was, you know, it was so conditional. I forget why I tried to play it before and it didn't work, but uh, non-black th- there were uh, it might have been the non-black issue. 
There were a couple instances that day of me not quite fully reading my cards <laughs> as I was quite tired. Um, but overall, uh, regardless of whether my deck was kind of sucking in game one or doing exactly what I designed it to do and being really, really powerful, I, I ended up having fun in both games regardless of the quality of my commander. In the first game, again, my commander and deck weren't all that good. But in the second game, I actually felt like my commander and deck were both really on point with each other and performed really well. So I, given that I enjoyed the format so much, both winning and losing, I would definitely be happy to return to it and play more of it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> part of me is like, boxes are the cheapest they've ever been. We could go two more rounds for Christmas. And I don't think anyone would complain too much. Hold up. Oak's been hella <laughs> quiet. Oak, what are you hiding over um, um, So we're talking about removal here. And I was kind of just sitting here and stewing for a while, thinking about how I got wrong-turned. My uh, rip-drop rip <laughs> predator, I believe, was yeah, donated. Yeah, that was a good one. I like that. Donated kindly to Chev. <laughs> uh, after I had spent so long... So much mana saved up. You spent your entire turn playing. For that, yeah. <laughs> spent my entire turn playing. That was the biggest creature in my deck. Um, and it just got donated directly to Chev, who... and Who then hit you with it. Yeah, it's, it's not a removal spell per se, but it was certainly removed from my end of the board. So it's a removal spell. <laughs> your to donation me. was greatly appreciated. Yeah, and if you wrong turn someone a six five with menace, they're not going to be like, "Well, in fairness, you did just spend the resource, so you are the safest target." So I'm going to punch you with this six yeah. five. No, they're going to hit the person they just took it from and go, "Ha ha! I have your six yes. five. Precisely. And that is what happened. Yeah. If you're if you're a scumbag, yep. which Chev is, this is true. This has been noted on previous pods. Oak, how'd you feel about your first deck? Because you, you had all the colors. Yeah, I think you had like 90% of the legends draft. opened in that first one. Yeah. Like, I remember seeing this all like, the list of the three color too. legends on the side of your draft table. I did have quite a few, and I was going to transition this from. We were talking about more removal, some more in the realm of reality. Uh, I feel like I passed up a few spark harvests. Spark harvests? Har harvests. Mm, yep. Here and there. And I really should have taken those. Um, I did not. I, this draft just overall did not go great for me in terms of how well I played or how well my decks were constructed. So, I mean, uh, overall, mine were nothing to write home about. But I did have an interesting experience uh, in the first draft, especially. Drafting Yurlock, I had originally... Or, sorry, running Yurlock, I had originally intended the deck to play out as sort of a green-black monarch type thing it was pretty ill-suited for that and maybe i'll get into that later <laughs> but i know we were talking about earlier uh how it's kind of impossible to splash colors and i actually found that with your lock and, and obviously this is can be chalked up to luck uh i believe i got your lock in our third round of packs but my green black crappy monarch deck sort of turned into a green black splash red for a couple of uh, other rares I pulled. Again, I, I believe it was like a Wheel of Misfortune that I decided to splash, quote-unquote. So, yeah. Thank God it's, that didn't get it's pretty. It's pretty clear I was drafting dumb, but I did uh, I did have a great time <laughs> with uh, with my man, Yurlock. You also put in work with the Rocks. 
The Rocks? The Rocks did put in work with Tago. Yeah, so I think I brought this up before, but in the second round of our draft, I had not at all intended to go red-white. Um, I had drafted white-blue, and then at the very end of it, I think like halfway through, someone at the table, probably Eric, because he always does this kind of thing, is just said like, wow, no one's drafting red. It was like, yeah, everyone's kind of just getting past some red. And, you know, I took a couple red cards here. There's a red, red-white card here or there, and I took picked up a Tago, but I was like, I'm not going red, and I was trying to draft uh, blue-white, but at the end of it, I had enough red cards and realized that there was enough synergy between a couple of the equipment-based uh, creatures in my deck and Tago, since the rocks he makes are, in fact, equipment, you can sort of equip up those creatures, like, uh, I forgot the exact name of the card, but one of them gives equipped creatures, you control double strike, and such. Uh, so it was kind of like a red-white, uh, artifacts equipment deck. Uh, Rebecca kind of gave me, oh, uh, by the way, who was my partner with Tago, uh, that was Rebecca. Rebecca gave me some surprises when I was suddenly unable to equip my rocks to any of my artifact creatures because they all, <laughs> all of my artifacts had protection from the converted mana costs amongst all my artifacts, which essentially means I couldn't equip them at all. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a little bit asynergistic, uh, I'll admit, <laughs> but it was still, uh, it was still a fun experience. And I'm honestly, I'm kind of glad I went down that route. Uh, just, I don't know. It's just fun to play Tago. He's just, he's a funny guy. It looked to me like you were living the dream. I was oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, had, I had so many rocks. I was rich in rocks. So, overall, we liked it. We thought that the games played out pretty well. They, I mean, they kind of played out sort of as you'd expect for Commander games. It felt a lot like Popper EDH, actually, now that yeah. we had just been talking about last week. Yeah, sorry. Before we do the format wrap-up, you said this at the start as a hint to I want to talk about this later. Um, we got two games and two drafts in over the course of around five hours. Um, that sounds really long. A lot of that time was spent drafting, ordering pizza, me talking about the draft during the draft, which is a social faux pas, but is much more fun. I think that this is not a slow format. All of the games we had, people were swinging actively. People, there was a lot of aggression from almost every side of the table, and the game in which people played more control-like, which I would say game two was actually ended up going maybe even quicker because with some of the more powerful removal and control tools sort of put out into the game, we saw a lot quicker answers to threats and sort of were able to speed through a couple of turns. I think it is, again, not a slow format. Slow people are just playing it. And that is the speed slow, not mentally slow. That would be very rude. <laughs> Ow, that was rough. Well, I can tell you that Cage of Hands was an absolute all-star, and Eric can tell that. you about, about it on stream or something. I, don't know. I do hate Cage of Hands. Hey, y'all. Julian here. Uh, so, because we got pretty busy this week, and also this recording was an absolute monster between this part and the second part, um, we had nearly two hours of audio content that I had to uh, heavily edit down, especially because the boys were getting a little rowdy this week. But, yeah, so... Um, this is part one of a two-part, so you'll see that it's uh, part one and part two on whatever uh, podcasting app you look at. Um, just know that the second one is coming in a few days. Uh, cue the outro.